Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Monday edition of Seven Investing Now. So let me set the table. It's the fourth quarter. There's a little more than two minutes left. It is fourth and goal, and you've got me, Daniel Brooks Klein, under center. We're going for it, Steve Symington. That is what we're doing. We are not. We are not giving Tom Brady the ball up five points. Uh, that is a metaphor. I am not a great football player. Uh, I think maybe I'd be a better football coach than Matt Lafleur. Not sure about that one. Steve, did you watch the games? Uh, yes, I did. I watched the first game, and then I went to uh, I went to Crude's too with the family for the second game. So. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, I got that reference. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what we're going to do today on seven investing. Now we are not going to talk football. We are going to take your investing questions. There's a lot going on in the investing world. We started the idea of doing that because on Sunday, it looked like it was going to be a slow news day that changed when we woke up Monday morning, <laughs> Steve, let, let's just set the table at the top. The market, the stock market works a lot like baseball cards or beanie babies the <laughs> actual value of the item doesn't always have to be meaningful and that's something that's important to remember but we're going to take questions you sent via twitter we're going to take questions you give us here so feel free say hello in the comments we would love to hear from you uh we are winging it a little bit we didn't even go over which questions we're going to talk about after we take your questions we're going to do what we're watching we're going to talk about how amazon and starbucks are helping with vaccination efforts. That's right, you can get a Frappuccino with a side of the Moderna vaccine. That's not how it's gonna work. But Starbucks <laughs> is volunteering, as is Amazon to help. But we're gonna take a question here from LJ Smith 91 can you, can, can you explain to the beginning investor why and how GME, that's GameStop, rapidly rose in price? I don't get it and truly want to understand. There was no significant news. Were there important indicators that investors should be aware of? Steve, I'll give you the first crack at this. All right. So um, this is what we like to call a short squeeze. Uh, significant chunk of GameStop shares were being sold short. That means there were investors who had opened up positions that were essentially betting against the company and they profit when it falls. A lot of these were hedge funds. Uh, there were some short sellers uh, who were really notable who were essentially attacking the stock. And uh, in this case, it looks like a, uh, a big group of smaller investors, uh, namely uh, Wall Street bets, our friends over on Reddit, uh, have basically uh, banded together and driven the price up by buying shares of GameStop. And uh, essentially what happens there is you have uh, anyone who is sold short is uh, finds themselves scrambling to close their short positions to basically cut their losses. And uh, it's sort of this... Um, self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, in that the, the stock price rises, more short sellers cover their positions, stock price rises more, more people buy. And uh, it's sort of this uh, supply and demand scenario where shares just skyrocket uncontrollably. And we see what we've seen. This is a truly epic short squeeze. I think uh, just, you know, this morning it was up like 40% the pre-market and then was up 140% uh, in this morning's trading already and uh, kind of paired back a little bit after being halted. And that's on top of uh, some of its gains last week. So this is just incredible to watch. It's, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And Steve, let's put this in perspective because it has very little to do with GameStop the business. GameStop the business is a slowly dying retailer that's going to have a couple of good quarters because of the new console cycle. Mm -hmm. It's really well managed. And there is some good news in that Chewy founder Ryan Cohen took a stake in the company. So those are right. indicators where that they might send the stock up. They're not going to send the stock up 245%. So here's how I look at GameStop. So let's say your grandparent, your grandfather, I'll make it, is 97 years old. He goes to the doctor and the doctor says, good news, your prostate cancer is under control. That doesn't mean you bet on grandpa to live another 50 years. He's still really near the end. GameStop is still really near the end. But Steve, there's a scenario here we talked about before the show where this could actually be a game changer for GameStop. Right. Um, so uh, this would be an interesting opportunity for them to take advantage of their artificially inflated stock price and, and make no mistake. It's artificially inflated. This is a manipulated rise. Uh, this would be an interesting opportunity for them to raise cash uh, if they need it. You know, if they went out and issued some shares at these crazy prices, uh, they could actually uh, take advantage of that and bolster their balance sheet a little bit and use that to potentially pivot their business somewhere else or, uh, well, I mean, uh, in, well, in, they in, could in, buy a business that isn't game. 
Yeah, they could buy they could buy a business that isn't GameStop and pivot to that. They could completely change their mall inventory. Right. Like this is really an opportunity. Let's talk another one that's very similar. BlackBerry has been go- undergoing the same kind of thing. Uh, it's been talked up by people online. Now, this is pure manipulation. I don't think this is going to be legal all that much longer. I, I feel like the SEC has to step in. But BlackBerry is yeah. a little bit different because the underlying software business is one I've been bullish on for a very long time. Since they segged out of being a handset provider and moved into this car software game, I thought they were undervalued. The problem is, were they undervalued by 10% or by 300%? I don't know the answer, and I wouldn't trade the stock. Steve, your thoughts? Um, I I think there's one of the key differences is that BlackBerry, I think, actually has potential. (laughs) Uh, As far as its core business right now, uh, it's potentially interesting. Um, Maybe it doesn't merit the rise that it's seen because of the short interest. You know, we've seen a a fair number of stocks uh, rising because of... um, apparent short squeezes like this, like iRobot this morning was up like 40% uh, in a similar thing. I think it came in with almost 37% of its uh, float sold short. But uh, BlackBerry, I think the the key difference there is actually don't mind the business underlying BlackBerry. Uh, Whether it merits the spike is another story, but uh, GameStop's a little tougher for me to swallow. Um, You know, and hey, good on them for it. But uh, you also do need to be careful about uh, manipulation and whether the SEC is going to crack down, like you said, because uh, you, you'll see some some comments from people, uh, especially on Reddit, uh, who is largely being credited over at Wall Street Bets for doing this. Um, in order, you know, like, hey guys, let's be careful uh, because this is where you know, sort of the SEC has entered the chat kind of moment um, because <laughs> it's going to raise some eyebrows uh, for sure. But uh, if the business underlying it has potential, like maybe Blackberries does, it'd be a little easier pill to swallow. This truly shows you that there are times stock prices have nothing to do with the underlying business. That's why at 7investing, we don't buy penny stocks. We're really careful with lower price stocks, with smaller float stocks, because here's the reality. People could just decide, hey, I like this stock, and the people who are are betting against it are jerks. Let's have this social media campaign to pump it up. Those people are probably selling out at some point. You're the one left holding the bag. GameStop does not deserve, under any logical metric, to be up 245%. And we don't, as a company, at 7investing, we don't recommend shorting things because you're betting on short-term market action. And look, there's no predicting that. Let's go back to football here. In the long run, are the Kansas City Chiefs going to win more games than they lose while Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback? Absolutely. But might they lose some random game to Cincinnati in the middle of the season? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what shorting a stock is. It's risk. It's gambling. You don't know better than the market. Steve, we're going to get back to people's questions and comments here. Uh, We're going to take one from Water Water Polo Player 12. Uh, what's your favorite IPO from 2020 long-term? What IPOs or SPACs are you excited about to follow in 2021? Steve, this is more your area than mine. Um, man, there, there's a lot of good IPOs out there. Uh, I think um, Lemonade uh, in 2020 would be maybe my favorite IPO from, from 2020. I think they went public, if memory serves, back in July. Uh, and I, I think the potential for that business is absolutely massive. And I've said it as much, uh, on, on social media. Uh, but I'd, I'd say lemonade as far as, uh, IPOs or SPACs that I'm excited to follow in 2021. Um, maybe not announced yet, but plaid, uh, could be really interesting if they decide to go public. Uh, their deal just got scuttled, um, with Visa. Uh, they're a, a FinTech company that helps people connect their uh, financial accounts to, um, other services and and they work with a lot of the bigger names uh, out there, Coinbase and such. Um, but Plaid could be really interesting. Uh, and they actually just tweeted a couple of days ago that uh, this isn't over yet, more news to come. Uh, so it should be interesting to see whether they decide to go with like a direct listing or a SPAC with maybe Chamath or, uh, or something of the sort. But I think there's a really strong potential that they go public uh, on their own sans visa deal. Uh, and that could be really interesting as well. Robinhood's another one, uh, that I think will be, uh, dominating headlines later this year, should they choose to go public. So, um, those are a few that I'll be watching this year. Manesh Gami asks, uh, I wasn't investing in the early two thousands. What with being 10, 
How does this compare to that? Steve, I'll field this one because how old were you in the early 2000s? Yeah, I was just graduating high school about then. Yeah. So so here's the difference. So I, I worked on the internet uh, in the early 2000s. And here's the difference. I worked at companies that didn't have revenue and had no prospect of revenue. I, I was the editorial director at a company called Uproar.com, which was a top 25 website in 2000, uh, excuse me, in 1999. And the problem with that was, is we would get an ad contract and it would be for like 50 grand. This actually happened. It was to turn our bingo game into focus for the Ford Focus when they were introducing it. Here's the problem. The 50 grand that they paid us was less than it cost us to implement those ads. I was more, so those companies, you looked at them and you went, there is no path to profitability. If you look at an unprofitable, high-flying tech company right now, you can generally see a roadmap to profitability, even right. if there's a lot of upfront marketing costs, even if there's a lot going on. So I don't think it's the same, but I do think you might see some SPACs that it is the same. I saw today that that BuzzFeed and Vice and some of these media companies might use a SPAC as a way to kind of stay afloat. Be very wary of companies that raise money at very high valuations that sort of just need cash to keep going. And right. yes, if these companies consolidate, there there will be you know some back end savings. But that's where I get very wary. Steve, anything you want to add here? Yeah, uh, I, I think one of the big differences between here and two thousand uh, that that big bubble what is the quality of a lot of the businesses you know the market uh, by most metrics is is pretty overvalued but uh, some of the highest flying names have much higher quality cash flows at this point and uh, and not necessarily bottom line profitability you know look at a company like Amazon which for the first couple decades of its public existence didn't really turn uh, a profit and um, I, I think the the key difference here is that we have much higher quality cash flows uh, when it comes to the businesses that are richly valued. And that's part of the reason they're richly valued. And if they choose not to let uh, some of that cash they're generating fall to the bottom line and they instead choose to reinvest it in the business, a, a really astute capital cal allocation decision, uh, I think that merits a higher valuation. And if they can scale to essentially infinity, um, that's something that uh, that is really hard for some old school investors to reconcile. And I think that's one of the big differences between some of the higher flyers uh, today versus in the 2000s. I'm Dan Klein. He's Steve Symington. You're watching 7investing now. We're taking your questions, uh, mostly that were sent to us on the at 7investing Twitter. Uh, we're also taking questions you're asking us live. We're probably going to do this again on Friday. So if we don't answer your question today, uh, feel free to keep getting them in. Obviously, it's better uh, if we get to the end of the show to send it to at 7investing. But Bill Smith wants to know, I'd like to hear where you think renewables and electric vehicles are headed under a Biden administration. Steve. Uh, onward and upward, I think, is <laughs> is the, uh, the the correct answer there. They were already heading in the right direction, uh, renewable energy and uh, electric vehicles. Uh, but there was a perspectives topic that we wrote about for Seven Investing several months ago uh, as the, the results of the uh, presidential election became more clear. And uh, several of us talked about uh, how yeah, EVs and renewable energy were going to be a, a big winner uh, from a Biden administration because of policies that would put, be put into effect. Uh, so I, I think uh, the short answer is uh, they will progress nicely. And uh, the, the trick will be as individual investors to find those businesses that actually stand out from the rest in the process, because you don't just want to buy uh, green energy, renewables, electric vehicles at any price, no matter what. That's not going to work. Uh, you want to find the ones that stand out and those that truly excel. And remember, the change here is going to be slow. It, it, even with a sympathetic administration, you still have a very split Congress. You still have the practical application that hundreds of thousands of people are, are employed in traditional energy and vehicles. This is not going to be an overnight. It will go faster with Biden in office. It will not go fast. So the next question we're going to take here is, I love when I see someone who I know in the real world, not just in the investing world, pop up. But Len Kaplan's question is next. And a picture popped up on my Facebook feed today, you know, like your little memories thing. And Leonard shared it. It was me at about 15 in an old school video studio. It looks like the uh, like at, in the Death Star where they, you know, where they uh, fire on Alderaan. It has all those screens and buttons and levers. And that was a TV console in Star Wars. Uh, so Len is, is the person who got me into my first 
television studio uh, doing movie reviews on a show literally when I was 15. But Len wants to know, how about a question on investing with the goal to increase supplemental money during retirement when you're about eight years from retirement? I think this is important, Steve, because mm-hmm. we often focus on people with a really long horizon. Um, right. I'm going to weigh in a little bit here because I'm older than you. My thought is you want to go safer stocks as you get closer. You probably want to go really good stocks that also pay a dividend if you're thinking income. So yeah. like Microsoft and Costco and just companies that there's very little downside risk. Costco's not going to fall apart tomorrow. Microsoft's not going to fall apart tomorrow. Now, I know Len is like a big animation fan. So Disney would be a great way to go. Not a dividend stock at the moment, but usually a dividend stock. Steve, your thoughts here? Yeah, uh, I, I think as you you approach retirement there, there isn't a, you can walk a line uh, between investing in, in high quality stocks with the potential for decent capital uh, share price appreciation, uh, but also uh, companies that have steadily increasing dividends. And uh, that's the key is to find uh, big solid dividend payers that have a chance to essentially give you a raise every year. You know, you can find these kind of dividend aristocrats that are interestingly uh, able to increase the value of your shares, not only through that share price appreciation, but also um, returning money to shareholders in the form of dividend payouts. So there's there are a lot of good uh, dividend payers out there with healthy dividends, and uh, and it only compounds. And, and eight years away from retirement, uh, as Len mentions, is, is a, a fair bit of time uh, for those gains to compound. Uh, and you'll notice if you look at our seven investing scorecard for people who actually subscribe to the service, uh, we do have a number of, uh, of pretty prominent dividend payers that we also believe uh, fit this mold of the potential for uh, decent share price appreciation along the way as well. Yeah. So in general, you'd want to limit risk. You probably don't want to be putting big portions of your portfolio into speculative biotech stocks or, or speculative stocks of any type. And we do on our scorecard rate how risky something is. Uh, Steve, we're going to talk about our picks later. We actually have a team call. Where we do the video part of our pick and I'm pitching mine. And I will say, it's the riskiest one I have ever pitched. So for those of you who are not subscribers, 7investing.com slash subscribe. We're going to take one from the comments. Remember, you can ask us questions live. We are happy to take them. Rajul Online says, what are the top three parameters that would prompt you to move to more cash? Um, not something I would do under any parameters, but Steve, your thoughts here. Yeah, uh, I, I'm generally fully invested. You know, it's not like, well, I'm going to go 50% cash here uh, because I'm nervous. Like I, I focus on the long term. And that's something we talk about often here at 7investing is that we focus on putting money to work that you don't need for at least a few years. And uh, that's the best way. If you extend your horizons and uh, how far out that you're looking uh, when you invest, it makes your gains much more predictable. And that's uh, that's key is being able to understand that volatility is par for, par for the course. Uh, and you know, generally, uh, when you're investing in great businesses with the potential for decent share price appreciation along the way, uh, it's not something, you know, these sort of near-term macro factors aren't things that you should generally be concerned about. And, uh, you know, what what the Fed's doing, what interest rates are, where inflation is. If the market pulls back along the way, uh, you know, I try and just steadily add to my uh, cash as my cash flow allows. And uh, and then I'll invest it along the way. And, um, you know, so, so many times I've regretted investing just because I think, oh, this is too expensive right now. Uh, I just think continuously investing month after month, no matter what, is the best way uh, to predictably create wealth over the long term. And uh, just even if it's just a little bit, whatever you can spare, uh, I think that's the way uh, to approach it. And that's why we provide uh, our seven best stock ideas every single month at Seven Investing is to give people uh, a good group of stocks uh, and you know potential investment opportunities every single month. And uh, that's that's how we roll here. Steve, one of the things I am more likely to do is loan myself money to buy something that I don't have cash for in my account. I have money moved into my account on a regular schedule. If I see an opportunity, I might transfer money from my checking account and say, cancel the next you know, automatic transfer or cancel one a few months down the road, whatever it is, so I can invest more fully into things I like. But we're gonna talk more along those lines because the market is a little difficult right now. It is, uh, it is very frothy, but 
if you pull out 10 years, if you really look at a long-term horizon, things are different. I'm going to paraphrase this one a little bit. It's from Option Miner. I love all your January recommendations, but some of them shot up 100% within a month. That's not typical. I will point out that uh, I had a conversation with our CEO, Simon Erickson, today, and he congratulated me on the performance of one of the stocks I've picked. And I said to him, yeah, everything I'd said they'd do in five years happened in like eight days. Like, like that is not normal. And the pandemic has changed things. So what we constantly do as this is happening is we look and say, okay, this stock's up 200%. Do we still believe there's room for it to grow? Or did this unlock new room to grow? So Steve, how do we tell people when, hey, we recommended this three weeks ago, but geesh, it's already too high. I've, I've never felt that way about any of the picks I've made. Right. Um, and I, I think maybe relating this um, in, in in the way that we've actually made recommendations over the last several months, there's been a few times where stocks that we've basically locked in, you know, and we said, okay, we're going to buy this on the first of next month. And we start preparing our reports and everything. And then all of a sudden that stock climbs 40% in two weeks. Or, you know, in a couple of cases, the stocks that we'd locked in doubled. And it was insane. This isn't normal. Uh, but we just took a hard look at our at the companies. And, uh, and we've talked about this a fair bit is... Uh, all too often, again, we regret not buying stocks because we think they're too expensive and then they only continue to climb. And that's what happened to, uh, I think, Simon's recommendation in November, I believe it was. He locked it in. Stock rose like 112% before we actually released the pick. And he said, I'm sticking with this. And then it went on to double again. And uh, that's that's uh, really we part of it, it helps that we are looking at the long term for these stocks. We're looking years out. Uh, for what we think they're capable of. And, and uh, you know, a company climbing 20, 30, 40% uh, isn't really all that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. You know, if, if you think, uh, actually, I, I saw a tweet from Brian Feraldi, our, our old colleague, uh, the other day, where he said, if you think, you know, if, you, if a stock goes up 10% and you think it could be a 10-bagger, why are you concerned about that 10%? You know, I'm looking for stocks that I want to return 5, 10 over the longer term, a hundred times the initial investment. I shouldn't be concerned about 10, 20, 30% here and there. And uh, and I think that's where people kind of get hung up is is they regret not buying. Oh, I should have done this. And then all of a sudden it's a 10 bagger five years from then. And they're like, I should have bought it back then, even though it rose 20%. Um, and, and that's... Um, that's just something I think we have to reconcile ourselves with is, is there's a lot of volatility. And uh, another thing that we can kind of keep in mind, uh, forgive me for extending this answer, is, <laughs> is potentially uh, dollar cost averaging your way into a position. So buying little bits at a time, maybe if you want to buy a stock, uh, one thing that I like to do is maybe open it up in thirds or quarters of what I was originally going to put into it. So I'll take 25% of the money that I wanted to use to buy that stock now. And then I'll add to it over the course of a couple of months. So if it continues rising, at least you participated in those gains. And if it pulls back hard, you have a little bit of capital to put to work at lower prices. But again, these are long-term recommendations. And uh, and that's something that I think you really need to, to come to peace with. Yeah. And let me give a real world example. So one of the things we talk about in our calls is often total addressable market. But I don't even think of it that way. I think it is, I look at a company, I'll give you a, an example everyone can understand. Starbucks. You look at Starbucks and you say, okay, they have 36,000 global stores. That It could be 38 now, I haven't even checked in, in, in a few months. And you say, okay, can they add 100% new stores? No, they cannot. They could probably add 50% new stores when you look at the China market, when you look at places they aren't in. So, okay, there's a lot of growth there. But then you go, could their packaged good business, uh, their grocery store business partnered with Nestle grow by 100%? Absolutely, yeah. it could. Then you go, okay, their premium business, their ability to sell you roughly the same product, but with a better experience at a 50% premium with maybe only a small cost premium for them, well, that could double their business. So you look and say, okay, this company, which is already huge, could still grow sales by two or three times over the next you know, five years. So it almost doesn't matter. And again, look at the 10-year chart, Microsoft, Starbucks, Coca-Cola, any really good company at Costco, and you'll see there are dips here and there. There are huge spikes here and there, but it's, it's climbing up a mountain and they keep getting bigger. We, of course, look at this regularly. So occasionally 
We might tell you, oh my God, this company kind of played out its thesis. It's There are better growth opportunities. That's why we sold our position. But in general, we look at these things so you don't have to. We're gonna take these in order, Steve, so we can try to get to the ones we didn't do on Friday show. Uh, so Uchwal Goel says, as this bull cannot continue forever, and if I have made good gains in individual stocks, should I sell and get it to safer options like an ETF? Um, we're believers in individual stocks, and I believe in sort of creating my own ETF. Like I own shares of lots of things I, I believe in. And I will say many of us who have 401k exposure probably have mutual funds or ETFs or something in that where you're, you have less ability in most cases to direct. Steve, right. your thoughts on this one? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, options like ETFs and index funds and mutual funds are, are great for people without the time or inclination to do investing uh, research into individual names uh, like we do. And uh, we're biased because this is what we do. I, I spend every waking moment thinking about finding the market's best investment opportunities in individual equities. Uh, but there are some great ETFs out there with specialized purposes. And uh, it's basically like a, a ready-made portfolio for you. Uh, but you're also uh, relying on on other people to, you know, th those people's portfolio to actually climb from the point that you buy it all at once. And, and uh, you know, sometimes ETFs and index funds are great options for folks. But I think, uh, you know, personally, I think it's, it's not just possible, but probable that uh, individual investors can beat the market over the long term by investing in individual stocks and, and uh, tailoring their portfolios specifically to their own goals and risk tolerances. And uh, that's what we do at Seven Investing. And uh, you know, if, if you don't want to take the time, uh, or you don't have the inclination to uh, to really dig in and, and understand the research, and that's part of what our reports are for, is to take some of the legwork out of that for you. Uh, you know, ETFs and uh, and index funds uh, might be a, a good option, but uh, you know, something like a, a Vanguard uh, S and P five hundred ETF just to track the overall market. Uh, our goal, of course, is to beat the market. And uh, to outpace it, because if you look back 100 years, the S&P 500's returned just short of 10% annually, which is pretty solid, uh, but uh, we want to do better. And uh, it, it all depends on your own personal risk tolerances and, uh, and individual goals as an investor. So we're going to spend about 10 more minutes answering your questions before we move to talking uh, about what we're watching, which is the sort of uh, corporate effort to help with vaccinations. And let's explain a little bit about what we're doing here. We decided today because there was just so much uncertainty in the market, so many questions, to just stop and take your questions. And that's a big part of what we do at 7investing. We're not about option strategies and crazy trades and following charts, and we're doing our homework. We spend almost all of our time researching stocks, but we wanna make this easy for you. We wanna demystify it. It is a lot easier to buy individual stocks now. When I first you know, got a brokerage account, there were fees and you had to buy 100 shares. It was complicated. Now with fractional shares, I can have my son who's 16, when he gets a job, put half his paycheck into the market in little pieces of companies he likes. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make trading, investing. I hate the word trading. We're trying to make, <laughs> it, we're, we're, we're trying to make investing something everyone can do, everyone can understand. So Martin Hurley asks a great question. Uh, we talked about this a little at the beginning here. What actually is it that makes a share go up or down? Steve, I'll let you start here. Um, you know, it's, it's really supply and demand and what investors are willing to pay. Uh, there's a certain number of shares made available to the public um, for every company. Uh, you know, that that's their float that they actually have available on the market. And uh, you can put in orders, um, but it, it really depends on, on what investors have decided the value of that company is. Uh, and, you know, kind of our job as individual investors is to determine when there is a notable disconnect between the current value of those shares and their long-term potential. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess, sort of the premise of, of maybe value investing, but also growth investing. You say, you know what, uh, you know, this, this stock is expensive, I think, based on these valuation metrics, but uh, can it grow into that valuation? Um, but really, you know, I guess simple supply and demand is is the, uh, the the short answer to that. What actually makes a share go up or down? There is no direct question, uh, connection to any real numbers. Uh, it's not, you know, it, it, it's it's a Super Bowl ticket essentially that's up for auction. However much someone will pay for it. So yeah. that means you do have to be wary. And this is where I say, don't get stock tips on the internet. Be wary of fear of missing out. 
you don't want to be the person who is buying shares of Nikola to pick on a company or, or genius brands because a lot of people are talking about it. It seems like a good idea. You yeah. really need to either do the homework yourself or look to professionals like us who are really digging in. Okay, what is this company? What are they telling you? What is the actual reality? But Martin, we appreciate that question. Joe Mooney says, as an investor, it's hard to see crypto and other speculative stocks going to the moon daily. Is it tough to keep your long-term vision when others are getting huge returns? I think crypto dropped like, I think uh, uh, Bitcoin dropped like 20 grand last month or something crazy like that. So it's not always to the moon. Mm -hmm. Steve, I don't care what other investors are doing. It's like the person who says they bowled a 300 game or that they never lose it at the the casino. I don't believe you and I don't care. Steve, your thoughts. Uh, So I literally seconds ago just retweeted something from Ian Castle that he tweeted yesterday that is perfect for this particular question. Uh, You know, does it just kill you to see crypto and other speculative stocks going to the moon daily? Ian yesterday tweeted, he's a fantastic follow, by the way, Ian Castle. If you turn over a lot of rocks, you will pass on many investments that ultimately go up 10x plus. It's part of the game. You can't beat yourself up over not owning stocks you wouldn't have been able to form the conviction to hold in the first place. Not every winner is meant for you. Uh, Really, that is in a nutshell how you should think about it. Uh, Not every winner is meant for you. Uh, we, you won't catch them all. And uh, I, I don't lose any sleep over not being involved in some crazy epic short squeeze that nobody could have seen coming. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes uh, you miss out on stocks that you almost bought, but didn't. Uh, but that's the shoulda, coulda, woulda uh, dichotomy. And I, I try not to to really lose any sleep over that. And and I really just celebrate the, the wins in, in my own portfolio, the stocks that I actually did buy and that I did recommend and help other people build wealth. Um, so don't, don't lose any sleep over that. I'm not upset about the games I didn't bet on. It's just not something I ever think about. Uh, finance eFootball. This isn't a question we can answer, but I'm throwing it out there uh, to give some, a, a little bit of directional advice. Um, after your Roth IRA is maxed, what are the best types of accounts to store funds and invest for the long term? I just have a normal brokerage account. I do have a Roth IRA as well, but that is the type of thing you should bring to a financial planner. Like, I am not a big fan of taking stock advice from people who make money based on how many trades you make or who aren't necessarily market professionals. They're money professionals, but there are accountants and CFAs and there are people who can give you that advice uh, better than us. Steven, anything you want to add there? Yeah. So um, after your Roth IRAs, you know, you could have a regular IRA, by the way, too. Uh, and But still the contribution limits, if you have two different kinds of IRAs, a regular and a, a traditional and a Roth IRA, uh, the overall limit is the same. So, you know, you can put 6,000 in, uh, 3,000 in each of them every year. Uh, once you max those, you know, say if you have a 401k at work, that's a great option uh, to save for retirement. Um, but also, uh, if you've actually maxed out all of your available retirement avenues, like Dan said, uh, just a regular taxable brokerage account is a great way to build wealth. And uh, one of the great things about being a long-term investor is that uh, we're not subject currently, at least, to um, short-term capital gains, if we're, you know, w- which should happen when you're trading a lot. So if you own a stock for more than a year, uh, at least a year, then your taxes on any transactions that you sell and take profits for are significantly lower. Uh, so there's zero, 15, or I think 20% generally, uh, depending on how long you've held the stock. Whereas if you take profits uh, as a short-term investor, you've held the stock for less than a year, um, that's something where you're going to get taxed normal income tax rates, whatever bracket you're in uh, on those profits. But uh, yeah, if I would say just hold things long-term, store and invest funds for the long-term and uh, just be a long-term investor. And if you're not selling, you don't have to pay taxes on those profits. (laughs) We're answering your questions. Uh, Steve, we're going to speed things up to try to get through as many of these as we can. I think we might even be able to finish. Uh Uh, IMAG Invest says, how do we rationalize the markets being at all-time highs against the economy as a whole going through a pandemic? (laughs) Ah, oh, Steve, I'll let you go first. I have a lot to say on this one, which I won't say. That's, that's such a hard question. And uh, I, I think um, part of it is that the market is a forward-looking machine and we're counting on an economic, an impending economic recovery. Uh, and that's that's uh, maybe, you know, it remains to be seen how much of that's priced in. Uh, but there are a lot of factors at work. Uh, that's a super simplistic answer. Um, but it's not terribly surprising with the market uh, being at all time highs uh, against the economy as a whole going through a pandemic, because part of the reason is is that uh, fixed income investments are so unattractive right now with interest rates 
hovering near zero. Uh, you know, you're making almost no money uh, with with bonds and, and fixed income investments. So uh, equities stock market is a much more attractive place to put money to work and uh, combine that with investors kind of forward looking views of what uh, they believe the economy will do as the impact of vaccinations in particular take hold. And in the near term, uh, that stimulus package that we've talked about a couple times on this show uh, from the new Biden administration, and uh, then even next month, another package focused on infrastructure and jobs. There's just a lot of catalysts and the Fed kind of supporting everything along the way um, with those interest rates staying low. A lot of catalysts for the stock market to remain elevated and, uh, you know, there's a lot of worry how long, how much longer could this, you know, keep going um, a while. <laughs> but, uh, a, you know, that's, that's, I mean, we're staying invested. So it's also worth noting that there's two very distinct groups during this pandemic. There's people who've been hit very hard. Look, there's a lot of service industry workers. There's a lot of people that have really struggled. And, and God, do I feel for them and hope we get back to, being able to eat in restaurants. And I mean, I've, I've been supporting them via takeout, but doing everything you can do, you know, if you worked in a movie theater, things are not going great for you right now. But many people kept their jobs, shifted to a model where they didn't have to spend yeah. as much money getting to work. They couldn't travel. So they bought Pelotons and they, they bought more stock. And they, so it's not this clear cut economic downturn where kind of much of the country, country is struggling. Yeah. Obviously, we had points where it's been 10, 11% with, with unemployment. Maybe the number even got higher. But even then, there was the backstop at that point of the $600 extra check. So it's been a very muddled landscape. Dr. Boaz Ritblatt, a regular, we appreciate that, Dr. Boaz. Thoughts about investing into gold? I say no. Steve? Uh, I, I've tweeted a few times before, I, I've never been interested in gold. Not as a hedge, not as anything, uh, not as any part of my portfolio. Uh, I, I've never liked it. Um, it might climb, but uh, stocks have, have just continued to crush gold. And that's not to say it can't have a, a nice little rally. And there's people arguing um, for the, the the bull case for gold, but uh, I, I'm completely disinterested, and that's how it always been for me. So yeah, gold's never created a co a COVID vaccine. They've never invented a new beverage. Gold's never like to to me. It, it's like buying Beanie Babies. It's really speculative, and it just it's also boring. But there's a lot of risk associated with it. I'm not a hedge guy in general. Um, Sandeep David says, and, and I'll let you answer this one, Steve. Uh, mm -hmm. When do you decide that it's the right time to sell a stock? Yeah. Um, when the buy thesis is completely broken uh, or, or so far changed, uh, so far detached from your original thesis in a bad way. Uh, you know, sometimes your your buy thesis morphs in a very good way, in a surprising way. And that's the the most wonderful thing about investing in good businesses with lots of optionality. Uh, that That's one of the things that, that I really like to look for, businesses that kind of have uh, multiple prongs for potential growth. Uh, but if a stock's buy thesis is broken, uh, or if I no longer have faith in management, uh, and you know, there, there's a few factors, but it's very significant and rare, uh, if I've done my homework correctly, uh, that I should sell a stock. But uh, uh, it really has to be something that's, that's permanently altered, uh, the buy thesis in my mind. Steve, let's tie that into Ryan's question, which will be the last one we take today. And it's, uh, do you advise trimming uh, when a stock is a certain percentage of your portfolio? I generally don't do it, but it's a perfectly valid reason to yeah. sell. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't generally. Uh, I've regretted it too many times and I've learned that lesson. I like to let my winners run and call my losers. Uh, I like to look at businesses that have underperformed and determine whether, again, that my buy thesis is still intact. I love just letting winners run. I'm not you know, terribly uncomfortable with a single business or two or three comprising an outsized chunk of my portfolio because I found that those winners continue to keep on winning. Uh, I'd rather sell my losers. Uh, but, you know, if you're managing a, a massive portfolio, uh, it, it's a rational strategy sometimes, you know, even the folks at ARC uh, who love their Tesla uh, from time to time will trim it and people call them hypocrites and they say, no, well, we want to make sure it doesn't comprise, you know, what is it, more than 10% of the portfolio or something. But again, that's all a matter of personal preference. Uh, I generally don't. 
Hey, so two comments here. First, Steve, your dog is being very polite about wanting he, to go out. So if yeah, you'd like he, to let him out, you're welcome to do that. He he uh, he hears the kids going outside. My wife runs a, a preschool. So yes, go ahead. So Rajul Online says, what do you do when you still believe in the buy thesis, but the stock hasn't done anything in a year? Should you sell the stock? I generally don't because I'm generally buying pretty small pieces. So if I look at a company and up until the crazy run-up of today, I think BlackBerry would be a good example of this. BlackBerry languished for years because yeah. people would go, oh, this isn't the sexy company that sells the phone that you know Barack Obama used. This is, I don't even know what it is now. And, and I would look at it and go, oh, wow, they pivoted to software. They make money. There's a lot of licensing. TiVo is another one like that that I think is just this quiet you know, they're a quiet play where they own all this technology that Comcast Xfinity has to license from them. So sometimes those stocks just fall out of public favor. They're not called them pop culture stocks and they might languish for years. They might also at some point put out an earnings report that's just so good that you look at it and you go, wow, and everything happens all at once. So if I believe in something, I generally only sell if I stop believing in it. Steve, we took a lot of questions here today. Uh, we're probably going to do this again on Friday. So if you'd like to ask us questions, it's at 7investing on Twitter, and it's info at 7investing.com. Steve, part of what we do for 7investing members is people email us questions, and you might then throw that question out. There was one on Airbnb today. You put on the Slack, right. and those of us who are appropriate to weigh in, weigh in, and members mm -hmm. get our thoughts in real time. What else do we do that you may not know if you're not a seven investing member? Uh, we hold monthly calls as well that are subscriber only Zoom calls. And those are so much fun, by the way, uh, where we get to take questions in real time from subscribers, kind of like this, but specifically pertaining to our formal recommendations uh, that are, are subscriber only content. So uh, we get to talk to people. We talk investing. Uh, we always love to talk uh, to our members. And uh, if you send an email to that, 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 uh, that email address info at seven investing.com uh, you might get a response from us uh, at off hours. I'm, I, I sent a couple of responses last night at about 1130 because I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really sleep. And I'm like, Hey, I see a couple emails came in. So uh, we're, we're, we try and be kind of feverish and almost obsessive about uh, our customer focus. Um, but I do love those subscriber calls every month. Yeah. And the other thing we do is uh, if you look at our Twitter, sometimes we, are, we aren't the appropriate answer. Maybe we pass it on to our, our friends at Crypto EQ. Maybe uh, there was one on real estate investing that I passed on to some of our former colleagues that know that space better. We work really hard to make sure we're providing that service, getting your questions answered. And uh, Rajul, just to be clear, our Slack is a company Slack. It's not a public Slack. We've had some questions about message boards and slacks and other things and you know we just launched version 2.0 of our site really version 1.5 because there's, yeah. there's some amazing searchability and what we're calling a blog which is really going to be an ability for us to write sort of more directly to members and public facing trends pieces there's a lot coming uh, and at some point we will think about and talk about how we can make that part more interactive uh, small company growing quickly, trying really hard to incorporate everything you ask. But Steve, let's do what we're watching. Oh, Can Amazon help <laughs> America get vaccinated? You know, this is not a vaccine showing up in two days and you self-administer it. This is right. Amazon going, we're the best logistics company on earth. How can we help? And oh, by the way, we want to get our people vaccinated. Like that, you can't forget that part. And I want them to get vaccinated too. They come to my house every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Amazon um, reached out to the Biden administration offering to help with COVID vaccines. And uh, I, I really do. I love this. I mean, Amazon has arguably the, the world's best IT communications and distribution scale. Uh, it would obviously be in everyone's best interest. It's, it's not completely uh, selfless. Uh, you know, they want to get their people vaccinated. And uh, it, it is in everyone's best interest to get the economy kind of back up and running, because the longer this goes on, the more economic damage happens. And the more these companies are going to suffer, even though Amazon has thrived through all of this, everyone wants to see the economy kind of get back to normal and life get back to normal as we as we know it. So um, there will probably be rumblings, uh, people wondering whether Amazon is trying to get in the government's good graces to maybe reduce uh 
antitrust scrutiny or steeper regulation, the prospect for that. I don't think that's what's happening here. Uh, and I applaud Amazon for reaching out and offering their assistance. But, uh, you know, we also see several other companies reaching out as well. Uh, Microsoft, Costco and Starbucks, I think, in Washington state uh, have offered their help. Um, as far as uh, distributing and administering vaccines. Uh, but I think Amazon, um, you know, ex- with the exception of maybe uh, Walmart, which is another company, because they have pharmacies built in. So that's less surprising. But I think Amazon is the best non-pharmacy company, uh, given their distribution and logistics expertise. Steve, let me jump in. So so I've told you personally that next weekend I'm driving up to volunteer at a vaccination site that's yeah. at an armory. But if you've been to one of these Amazon distribution centers, these are college campus-like. And there's one near our, our second place in Davenport, Florida. And not only is it a massive facility that has some level of refrigeration because they're doing some grocery delivery out of there, they also have a huge amount of parking spaces. So right. their ability to say, okay, we're going to sign up 10,000 people in a week. And I know the place I'm going in South Carolina, they have 50 people on my shift just checking people in. So yeah. these are massive scale. And what's Microsoft going to do? Microsoft's going to help write software. What could what could Starbucks do? Well, when we get the Johnson & Johnson regular refrigeration vaccine, this isn't what Star- Starbucks has volunteered to do, but they have stores with refrigeration and drive throughs In yeah. theory, you could drive through, get it. This is all companies saying, we're going to try it. And what Starbucks did is they took their trier center. That's their in-house development lab where it usually takes 100 days to test an idea. And they mm-hmm. said, we're going to test ideas for vaccination clinics, but we're going to figure it out in 10 days. So this is the best of America coming together and saying, what can we do to help? And I get it. Like, why am I volunteering? Because I get the vaccination. Like, like th- there's, there's an element of self-interest in all of this. But Starbucks wants you to go back to work because then they won't have weird lines at 11 o'clock. They'll know when their lines are going to be like it's going to be a little bit easier. Steve, I'll give you the last word on this one. Yeah, uh, I think what's really interesting is, is Amazon is, is almost preemptively anticipating uh, the government's acceptance of this. They said they have an agreement in place with the licensed third party occupational health care provider to help administer vaccines on site uh, at their facilities. And uh, I, I really love this. And I think their scale uh, will really come into play and their logistics expertise. Uh, so I, I love that so many companies are coming together uh, to make this happen and to hopefully streamline things. Uh, because we've seen uh, firsthand, you know, <laughs> say the Postal Service, for example, some uh, disorganization uh, when it came to uh, the pandemic and uh, associated uh, troubles there. And there are certain companies that handled it exceptionally well and have only gotten better, and Amazon is one of them. So uh, this is pretty cool. I'm still getting Christmas cards and not because the people sent them late. (laughs) Okay, so let's recap here. You won't be getting a Vaxachino anytime soon, but you've got Amazon, you've got Starbucks, you've got Costco. They're all pledging their expertise, and I am really encouraged about it. Sam Bailey, we thank you for being so patient in the background. Viewers, we thank you for the tons of questions. Hit us up with more. We like, this is my favorite kind of show where where we just try to make you feel better (laughs) about what can be a really scary climate. But let's hit our finisher. Here comes the graphic. Which heavily hyped industry has the best chance of major success? 28% said connected home. 33% 33% said AR, VR, that's augmented reality and virtual reality. 8.6% said 4K TV. And 30.3% said 3D printing. I actually kind of feel like it's 3D printing. I feel like there's so much that can be done in terms of like manufacturing. And, you know, we talked a lot about like a part breaks in your, your dishwasher and it's like six weeks to get it. Yeah. If that could just be printed in your living room or the repair guy could print it in, in his office. I see the potential there, like the space travel potential. Imagine, yeah. you know, you're in space, you can't go to the dollar store to buy a new mug. Like, so you can just print one. I, I feel like that's it. Steve, what's your thought here? The 3D printing might be the most exciting. Uh, it, it's prospects over the long term. It would be great, you know, to be able to print a product out from Amazon, you know, for example. Uh, but I think Connected Home uh, he- is a heavily hyped industry that has the best chance of major success. And I actually wrote an article on 7investing.com to that uh, extent. Uh, and I said investors don't underestimate uh, the potential or the smart home opportunity. And uh, I, I think smart homes are already well on their way uh, in large part, you know, just 
connectivity itself is is becoming ubiquitous. But um, companies, you know, you have your smart speakers and smart devices. Everything's connected now. And there are certain companies like iRobot, which I mentioned specifically in that uh, that article, that are well positioned to become sort of the central unifying intelligence, put all the pieces together, and have a home that truly works in an intelligent, uh, smart, connected way. Uh, but I think connected homes are, are the ones that have the best chance of major success and are incidentally, uh, maybe farther along at this so point. Steve, Steve, I don't want to throw water on that, but in, uh, 1995, I was the assistant editor, really the editor, cause there was no one above me of a magazine <laughs> called sound and communications. Um, uh-huh. I mean, I had, I, I, I had a wonderful boss, but she wasn't day to day, putting the magazine out. And I wrote exactly that article that pretty soon we're going to have connected homes. Uh, you're going to be able to walk into your house and say lights on. Now, back then it was very expensive and it was yeah. wired. It wasn't, it wasn't the internet. The, in, the internet in my office then was a modem that you had to put the phone on the thing where writers would have to tell me they were sending something in and no one could make a phone call while I was getting stuff. So the world right. was very different. I think the problem with connected home is there are some things that are nice. My iRobot Roomba is way smarter than it was a year ago. And that's amazing. It doesn't fall down the stairs. It might be cool to come in and say lights on and having your coffee maker be able to be programmed to make coffee. But again, you could do that in 1995. I'm not so sure we need the Jetsons home that we're really looking for, you know, things that we now Nest thermostat. If I could figure out how to program mine, I can't. I just set it so it's one temperature. It because it would randomly yeah. decide it should be fifty four or eighty six. Like I, I, but I do think aspects of that are going to be there. The sure. loser here is four K TV. Our TVs are good enough. No, we want cheaper, bigger TVs. Nobody, unless you're like some weird cinephile or you're like Bill Belichick breaking down game footage, needs better televisions than what we have. So I, I don't see anything going on there. Steve, I'll give you the final word here. Yeah, uh, I'd say 4K, 4K TV. Yeah, you know, they'll get better and people accept it and they'll buy the cheaper TVs. Um, but I will say, uh, counterpoint again to the, the connected home. Uh, you know, you might have been a couple decades early uh, on that. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, but the the connected home, um, you know, I really think we've reached an inflection point. I actually did uh, an interview with uh, Lisa Chai of Robo Global recently uh, where she talked about that uh, with the advent of improved robotics and artificial intelligence and, and machine learning techniques in particular. And an interview I did back in November uh, with iRobot's uh, co-founder, CEO, Colin Angle. Uh, he talked a lot about uh, how. AI has drastically improved, uh, and, and their, uh, genius home intelligence platform where they talk, uh, they just want, people want things to work. And we're finally to the point where that can actually happen and they can collect data and they can know, you know, say when you leave, when to run a job, um, and, and they can sort of unify all of this. And I, I think, uh, if we get those pieces in place, um, we finally have, you know, the wireless infrastructure, the speed, the computing power uh, to actually make that happen. And I think it's going to happen uh, a lot faster than we think at this point. Uh, so we'll agree have, and disagree there. How have none of these companies hired Alan Iverson as a spokesperson? That, that, that just feels absolutely like it should happen. But we're done. This was a marathon. Your questions, they were great. We appreciate it. If you want to send us more questions, they don't have to be questions for the show. They can be questions about, about anything. You want to ask Steve how tall he is. You want to know like how he trained his dog to be that polite. Literally, the dog just sat there waiting for Steve. No barking, no anything. <laughs> uh, you can email us at info at seveninvesting.com. You, of course, can also find us at twi- on Twitter at seveninvesting.com. Steve, we've added like 200 Twitter followers every day. We really appreciate you for doing that. On Wednesday, I'll be back talking biotech, uh, definitely with Max Chatsko, probably with Manisha Sammy. Um, We look forward to that. We will see you then. Thank you, everybody. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.